curious because the fundamental elements that really come through uh, after you watch the whole film, sportsmanship, friendship, rising above societal and political issues in the world. How difficult was that for you to craft that and find that balance to visually and emotionally portray that on the screen? Yikes. Um, you know, you want to tell a story like this without judging it. You don't want to put, be preachy about it, you don't want to put huge amounts of judgment on the story. What feels strange about the story, it feels a bit fairy tale like Do you know what I mean? Someone comes from the wrong side of the tracks, meets someone who's 15 years older than who's driven in a completely different way, they partner up, they go through this, there's almost a Forrest Gump kind of quality to you know, go through. He just wants to run, he just wants to feel free, and he's caught up in this maelstrom of politics and ends up going to the this crazy stadium in Berlin and beating the Nazis and destroying their dreams of, of being called the Nazi Olympics and that before the Jesse Owens Olympics. So so it feels so fairy tale that you have to remind yourself all the time it all really happened. You know, and I think that's the sort of key to this. I wanted to make a modern film, not as I wasn't just trying to escape and have everyone's cool hats and their cars and stuff. You know, it's not, it's a story that couldn't really happen now because the Olympics now are all, you know, financial. And there's a lot of corruption in the Olympics as there was then, and there's even more now, I think, because of all the money that's involved. So, you, and you have a young man who's an African-American. What's he running for? Is he running for his country where racism is a part of institutional law? Is he, you know, he's really running for himself and his family in the end. He's not really running for, it's hard. Am I running for America? You know, all the African-American athletes, they went on this boat in steerage at the bottom of the boat where all the white athletes went in first class at the top of the boat. I mean, oh, it wasn't just all the athletes down in steerage. No. Oh, okay. yeah, all the athletes in his bags. And, and uh, Jason, you know, Larry Snyder, who paid for himself to go, because he couldn't afford the first class you know, it's, uh, thing. So it's, you can't travel with white people, you can't eat. In fact, Jesse said he felt, never felt so welcome as he did when he got to Berlin, because right. they could actually share dormitories right. and eat in the same areas. And his best friend became Lutz Long, which is an amazing story by itself. You know, Carl Lutz Long, which is, that, that their friendship was so close. I, we have all their letters, you know, and then, um, the last letter written from Carl Long to Jesse was from Palermo in Sicily when the Americans were about to invade. And he said, I'm about to die. I think they're coming for us. And I want you to go and find my son in Germany, wherever he is, and tell him I was never a Nazi. So Jesse actually searched for his son for years after the war and wow. found him and gave him all the letters. Wow. I mean, these are, these are incredible stories that would be difficult. You know, and it was done in those days. It was an amateur thing, the Olympics. It was done for honor. Right. Or was it? It was done for for um, personal uh, power, feeling of power. You know, I think Jesse expected to have, get a good job after this sort of thing, but he was treated very poorly after, after the Olympics when he got back from the Olympics. FDR never saw him. We, we find none him. Of the, none of the African-American athletes were invited to the White House, and, um, and he was promised all these jobs which he never got, and got into a huge amount of debt and became quite bitter for a while, but then later on in his life he sorted out. In fact, Jesse, end up having all these amazing companies, one with Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling, they had a company together. Yeah. You know, Max Schmeling was an amazing guy, the German who beat Joe Lewis in the 1936 fight. He actually helped a lot of Jews escape from Germany and was a very anti-Nazi. So I mean, it's such a complicated time, you know, to make out. And the Nazis obviously wanted to do the first ever branding, corporate branding of a sports event. Right. That, that was their idea. And a lot of people have done it since. They invented the Olympics, the Olympics. They invented the idea of running the, the torch from Greece. 
They invented the releasing of the doves, the opening ceremony, the whole modern-day format of them is based on the Nazi version of how they were. Really? Mm. And did Hitler really not shake the hands of the black we shot. We shot, the, we shot in the room where he didn't. <laughs> that's the exact truth. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I, okay. Because you, you've asked seven questions so far. Um, <laughs> why did it take an Englishman to make a movie that's inherently an American story? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm actually Jamaican, as it happens, but, uh, but I've been, I've spent most of my career here, I've done a lot of American stories, you know, I've done Peter Sellers' biopic, which is an English person, I've done 24, I've done Lost in Space, which is way out of a different universe, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it really matters about that kind of stuff, it's, it's a, it actually was brought to me by a French colleague who I'd worked with before, it was mostly financed by European Jews who, who hold this story very close to their heart, mm. and, um, uh, Focus was smart enough and brilliant enough to, to help us so much and pick this up and for America because a lot of companies weren't interested here, they just didn't see the story in it. Uh, because it was period, it's about sports and uh, whatever, it's not a sort of obvious thing to make a film out of, even though everyone asks me why it hasn't been made before. It's a very, it's a very big complicated story. The, you know, the lead has to be a young man because he was young and so therefore probably not famous, not financeable. You know, so we were lucky that they backed me up when I met Stefan, uh, who's, I don't know if you've interviewed him yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a very, you know, he's a great talent, this kid, and he reminds me of Jesse so much on the outside, he seems very cool and sweet and stuff, and it's like there's a lot going on, if you look up his, on his rap videos that he's done, which he made, there's a lot of stuff going on, he's like, oh, I'm so sweet, but actually there's a lot of playing bad nonsense going on. So, you know, I think Jesse comes across as a very sweet and saintly kind of individual, but inside he's made of steel, man, you know, and he's, and he's, and he's, you know, got the anger that you would have if you're an African-American living in America in those days, let alone now. I mean, in those days it was just, you know, I had to remind him, he was going off to do Selma when I met him, I'm saying, that movie and this movie are two different things. In 1936, there was going to be no end to racism. You're never going to get the vote if you're African-American. That was not going to happen. This was an entirely different world, you know, where segregation was going to last forever, you know, and Jesse became the first ever worldwide superstar athlete. It never happened before, and it's partly the Nazis' fault, because they broadcast this all over the world. There would never been a worldwide superstar athlete, because baseball didn't travel, American football, even English football, which is proper football, that, that wasn't worldwide yet. Nothing was worldwide. The only thing worldwide was athletics. If you wanted to go and see the fastest man on earth, you had to go and see it until the Nazis came along and started filming everything. And, and because, because of that, he became the first ever superstar anything worldwide. And consequently, that brought the you know, racism to the headlines of the newspapers. And, and it, it start, a lot of the NAACP people, people I've spoken to, they really helped begin you know, even though they didn't want him to go, it helped really begin a lot of a lot of conversations about uh, segregation in, in America. I wonder Steve, how you, you can... talk about um, you from Jamaica and you know English mm -hmm. as well, and you work in America. And England has a class society, and here has a kind of racist, race is kind of class. Mm -hmm. So like now it's Oscar controversy is going on. So how do you see, you know, your life? Is you have childhood experience living UK, America. So this is like a you are a weakness of the class society. So what, what's your opinions? What what's your life experience? Do you have any like a moment you shocked or some like a I was brought up colorblind. 
because I travel around the world the whole time. So it wasn't until I actually went to England as a child and I saw so many white people that I realized there were so many of them. I mean, I, I, I've never had to in my life uh, come across racism. I've never had to be in this position to necessarily be racist. You know, if you go to the southern part of this country, or you go to sections of England, or any country in the world, there's racism. You know, and often it's just people are brought up with crazy semantics. You know, they're just brought up to say things, and they don't know why they're saying it. They're just brought up a certain way. I, I found that out. I found I did a movie in Louisiana uh, during Hurricane Rita and Katrina. Now, a lot of really racist on the crew, which I had a lot of fights with. And I said, you can't speak like that around me. I would fire certain people if they did this kind of stuff. But when, when the hurricane happened, these so-called racists took a lot of black families into their houses and took care of them because they're Americans. And so all this stuff that came out of their mouth was not how they really felt. It was just, uh, I, I got slightly ashamed when I found out, but, but you know, it's, difficult, it's a difficult lesson to learn, I think. Um, I think, uh, you know, this movie, the title of the movie rocks, you know, <laughs> being called race is a great title of this film. It's, yeah. Not just about being African American, it's about the Jewish anti Semitism too, and, and it's and about, about the big race. Yeah, it's about literally. The yeah, race. running, a bit of running in there. <laughs> it's a great sport to put on film actually, because it's only 10 seconds long, it's an explosive sport. <laughs> you know what I mean? and have, when I watch movies, when you're baseball and football, and there's a camera with you on this thing, I go, yeah, right, whatever. It's like, you know, ask, you can't do four hour. I think, but this is, we, we only do seven races, and there was less than three minutes of actual running in the whole movie. But uh, they're explosive events, and each race has a different story to it, you know, and has a different backstory. Uh, there's a different reason for each race in the film, and, and, and each competition. Obviously, the, the long jump competition between Lutz Long and him was, uh, was one of the epic uh, battles in Olympic history, you know, and, and uh, one of the biggest turning points of the Olympics, you know, him, him holding arms, hands with Lutz Long and running around with a lap of honor infuriated the Nazis beyond uh, anything they could imagine. It was the worst thing that ever happened as far as they were concerned. Can you talk about Stefan finding him, casting him, oh, how this happened? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Um, well, we made the American part of the film in Montreal because there was a university there that matched exactly Ohio State and we went to Berlin for the other half. And I started, you know, originally it was a, at one point I spoke to John Boyega in England about doing it, but he was never set and then he went up to do this Teeny tiny, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we cast this net wide, and one of the first people I ever met was Stephanie Fleur from Toronto. And I thought, you know, this guy's perfect, but he can't be the guy because you'd never meet someone the <laughs> first half, you know, like the number three person I ever saw for it. And I started seeing other people, I thought, oh, you know, I keep on going back to him. He was going off to do Selma, and I thought, actually, I was lucky enough to have to be backed by the financiers to take him on because he has a I think as I mentioned earlier on, he has a kind of a grace around him and a sort of adultness to him, even though he's a very young man. But there's there's a lot going on inside him and and um, you know, and he when he was doing Selma, he committed to training like crazy with this Olympic uh, coach at Atlanta in oh. Atlanta University, uh, Georgia State University, I think it was, and uh, and and so I don't know, just lucked out I think, because I think the guy's just really understands honor and dignity and he's willing to stick himself out there in this crazy story, I think. Jason was a, a great find, actually, but Larry I, I, was only 36, Larry Snyder, when the story happened, and I didn't want it to be like an old father figure. I met all these actors and I just didn't feel right, you know, because so, Larry Snyder was a very edgy, charming, funny guy, and, and Jason, in his comedy, is very edgy and dark a lot of the time. 
And when I met him, he's so sports crazy. <laughs> they both of them actually are in the uh, All-Star Celebrity Basketball Game in Toronto and, and against New York, playing against each other. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and I think to understand the psychology of sport was very helpful to me in this film, in these two roles. You know, I mean, the, the Dalai Lama says, you know, sport is, 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 is very close to real life. It's about how you think of yourself when you confidence you have, how you believe in yourself. He's a, I've met him a couple times, he's a big sports fan, he's a big football fan. And, and uh, I think, you know, we start, and I, I'm a big sports fan in a way, but not as nutty as these two guys, you just live it. And, 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 uh, and they're so interested in how you win. You know, that I, that I, in the end, I really wanted to go for Jason, even though it wasn't an obvious choice, but I think that their relationship in the film is terrific, you know. And that's a big part of the film, obviously. So. Did you look at any of Lenny's actual footage from her movie Olympia? Oh, I watched it many times, yes. How, how influential was that? Because looking at what occurred in Berlin, in Berlin, in the stadium, mm -hmm. it's magical. It transports you. And, and you feel the awe. It's a filmmaking, yeah. I mean, she's such a great artist, I think. And my feeling about Lenny is that she was an artist born into Nazi Germany. And if she'd born somewhere else, she would have seen her art through that. She, by her own admission, was dazzled by Hitler and dazzled by the Nazis. They, as a woman, to have a position of such power was incredible within the Nazi party, which was very chauvinistic and uh, misogynistic. And they gave her the biggest budget ever in history to make a film with. You know, and she thought, I'm going to take this and do it. But she got in a lot of trouble. She made Jesse the hero of her film, and they were furious with it. She had to leave Germany quite soon after this. Really? And, wow. and, um, that makes sense. She, and, and they actually made her do a version cutting Jesse completely out of the film. And they looked at it and they realized they looked like fools. So they, they had to put it grudgingly back in and, and show it. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's easy to, you know, to look back in, in hindsight and go, the Nazis were what they were. But at the time, people didn't realize. It, I think you, uh, you know, they were clearly, you know, murderous gangsters and thugs, but they hid it very well. You know, they were brilliant propaganda. And, but her film was amazing. In fact, the Olympic Committee um, really didn't help us out. They didn't help us get the footage. They owned the footage, and they made it very difficult for us to get it, which is aggravating from their point of view. They're not very helpful at all in this film. And, um, the Germans weren't? No, the Olympic Committee. Yeah. Oh, the Olympic Committee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a pretty ruthless bunch. And, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, but her film, I, I, I put her in the film because I, I kind of wanted to have a, a point of view of of why the Nazis, it was so important to them. They put their entire budget of their whole country into these Olympics to try and persuade the world that they weren't what what they really were was thugs and gangsters and murderous and murderers. Yeah, they were the worst kind of you know, genocidal maniacs. But they they wanted to try and pretend that their political party had some authenticity, right. some history. You know, then it was all bullshit, right? The, the swastika is from Hindi. The, the word Aryan is from from Scandinavian language. They stole from Greek and Roman mythologies and and architecture to try and pretend that they had some history and had some belief system. But really, they were just interested in stealing and killing. You know. And, what? Last question. It, it seems what? like with the limited budget that you had for this film, you know, creating those scenes in the stadium. And also, um, you know, not having the cooperation of the Olympic Committee, how how much of a challenge technically was this for you in terms of you know giving us this grand you know when, when we finally reach Berlin and we see the stadiums and, and so forth, how much much of a challenge was that for you? 
Um, I've, you know, I've done a lot of movies and, and a lot of different types of TV and different stuff. So I've muddled around in lots of different areas of filmmaking. I know visual effects very well. So I knew we could be done. We could do everything we wanted to do, but it was, it was a, a very uphill, difficult task to pull off. The very first idea I ever had for this film was what it would be like as a young man, an African-American man, to walk into this gladiatorial cauldron in front of 120,000 saluting Nazis and keep your head and keep your heart intact and sit down, explode off those blocks for 10 seconds without making a mistake and, and win this first race. You know? And I thought of that shot. There's a shot in the movie which lasts about five minutes where you go with him through all of this and you actually see him go, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, uh, and I thought, once, once I could do that shot, I could do anything, mm. you know, because obviously the stadium's different now, so we did, and we didn't have 120,000 extras, actually, around it. <laughs> and uh, so it was, it was a very complicated film, but it's a film that, from the history of my history in, you know, in filmmaking, I knew we could manage, but uh, that one sequence made me think, if I can do that, we can do it, we'll do it all. Mm -hmm. And we did it in an incredibly complicated way, and uh, it took a long time in post to do all of it. And he had to really plan stuff out. We, we only shot for, I don't know, seven or eight weeks, the whole movie. So, wow. So it, it, it was, a, you know, I was shooting seven pages a day some day. I had one take here, off you go. Wasn't that Avery Brendridge and the thing about the two Jews being not allowed to run? Didn't that stuff just come out in the last several years? It's like Brundage was a real villain and a real crook, and I wish I could go further with it, because you can't prove it all. Okay. Right. He was a really Thank bad you. guy. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, okay.